Welcome to What's Working in Washington on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Coming up on today's show, we're trying to tell people what's happening in this White House beyond what he puts out on Twitter or says in a pool spray. And it makes it very hard to do that because there's not the level of expertise that you traditionally associate with people in that job. We are not daily, like hourly solicited by our newsrooms and our editors all over the world to describe, try to explain, understand what he says, what he does, even more than under Obama or under George W. And this is really the NASCAR president. But for the accidents, uh, we'd call it traffic. And we can't help but want to watch the accidents here. Welcome to What's Working in Washington Extra, an opportunity for us to look at a major issue that's being addressed here in the D.C. region by people who are making it happen. Join the studio by Ray Locker. He's Washington Enterprise Editor for USA Today. His beat covers the Supreme Court, money, politics, and he's an investigative reporter. Richard Lachandress is one of the founders of the White House Press Group and an investigative reporter. He covers the White House. Richard Levick is founder of Levick Communications. He's an expert on all business matters. Gentlemen, thanks for taking the time to join me. It has certainly been an interesting week for news and information. I'm sure it will continue as we go forward into the coming week. Richard, I'll begin with you. Mm-hmm. You're in the White House. Last week, President Trump made statements about uh, a news organization losing its license because it doesn't promote it, uh, provide information in the proper way with the proper facts. First of all, I don't think he has the power to do that, but secondarily, what was it like for you to be in the room as part of the press corps? You know, Jonathan, the um, strange thing is that it, ha- it also happened while the prime Canadian prime minister was in the Oval Office. So we were all together when he, he started this rant against NBC uh, News, insisting on the fact that all this was fake, wrong. We have to think about NBC's license. We were all watching this. Again, I- I'm a French-Canadian reporter. I had mainly uh, American colleagues and some Canadian colleagues around us. The, the feeling is that it's a civil war within the U.S. press and the presidency. We're watching this. The prime minister, Trudeau, was looking at the president and all of us like, how can you just... So you're, you're listening to him and you let him go, even if he can't do anything uh, against NBC uh, News, still we're just going to relay his rant. And that was a strange moment Thing also the prime minister looking at him. Well, what was that surprising? Because I, I would think that the job of, of the journalist is to communicate what's happening. Ray, I, I assume that you see this a lot every day with the beat you cover. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the challenges of dealing with this administration is finding people inside the White House and the various agencies. One, if they're even there, because they're slow in filling the jobs, and two, if they're competent in talking about various issues. Because one of the problems we have is we reach out to people in the White House to get comment on, say, immigration, some kind of H-1B visa proposal. That was one thing we worked on. And there's nobody there to talk to. So we hear these things from the president. We, a lot of people don't take them seriously because we've known by now he can't back up most of the things he says. 
and that diminishes our ability to do our job effectively. We're trying to tell people what's happening in this White House beyond what he puts out on Twitter or says in a pool spray like the one that Richard was watching. And it makes it very hard to do that because there's not the level of expertise that you traditionally associate with people in that job. Richard Levick, your job, as I've seen it over the years, is to help businesses communicate. But a big part of your job is to figure out what the what the government's thinking about. Is it a big problem now for business that this Trump administration has decided not to fill so many of these jobs? It, you know, a large part of our job is to see risk, anticipate it, help companies and countries address it. But I think what Richard was addressing, that moment when Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau is almost, if you'll forgive me, the uh, doe in the headlights that is being surprised to hear this attack on the First Amendment, just as Angela Merkel stared, uh, had that same unfortunate moment of, uh, of staring into the abyss uh, with this president. I think for so many businesses, for so many countries that we represent or communicate with, there's this extraordinary challenge. There's the combination that Ray talks about of, and to put it politely, incompetence, simply unfilled positions in legions of numbers, where whether it's the State Department or EPA, whole departments are incapable of performing their duties, but also this Twitter storm, which takes us into directions that are so dangerous that the founding fathers had written about them in the hope that we would never trespass. Well, not just the founding fathers. You know, you take somebody like Alexis de Tocqueville, who wrote 50 years after the founding of the government, you know, French aristocrat coming here to like, what makes this so special that we don't guillotine people, right? And he pointed out, without democracy, you have nothing. And without without freedom of speech and freedom of association, you have nothing. But but look, let's take away from the politics for a moment. I'm willing to bet that if we actually talked about our political affiliations, this would be diversity here in this room. But yet, how have we gotten to a point where having a conversation about uh, about the probity of information has become a partisan issue, right? I mean, what do you guys think about that? It must be really hard. Uh, Ray, I'll start with you because the national newspaper, USA Today, I think does a very good job of of, of having a broad tent. How do you do your job in a moment where if you say something that's critical, you're immediately accused, I know I've been accused of being partisan when I express something that seems to me is just reportage? It's really difficult, and it can uh, drain you. It uh, pounds on your morale. You, people call you names for just because you're doing your job. That goes with the territory. You have to do what you got to do. You have to report on the facts, and you have to have faith that enough people will realize over the course of time that the facts are going to win out. Now, two examples that the president had um, – Wednesday night in his interview with Sean Hannity, one, he said that the increasing value of the stock market was eliminating the federal debt, which is just a bald-faced lie or a totally inaccurate statement. Or just ignorant. Yeah, or ignorant. And he should know better. And now if you say that's true, people will criticize – or not true, people will criticize you for attacking the president. He also said that we have – anti-missile defense system that is 97% effective and that that would help us against that's just not true it's not true the tests on this missile system have been basically rigged to succeed and so he is here you have the president of the United States basing some of his North Korea policy which could involve a nuclear attack on false information I don't know where he's getting it that's troubling. You report on that, people criticize you for attacking the president because you're a liberal hack or whatever. And that's certainly not a liberal or conservative issue. So that's draining and demoralizing, but we have the responsibility to do it because we have to, because if we don't, who does? 
Mm-hmm. But what I find interesting, Jonathan, and I, I so agree with Ray, still what fascinates me is that the president has succeeded to already Washington in the White House under Obama and the previous president was the center of the political world. But I see this as a foreign correspondent and with my colleagues. We are not daily, like hourly solicited by our newsrooms and our editors all over the world to describe, try to explain, understand what he says, what he does, even more than under Obama or under George W. And George W. Bush was interesting because we were involved in two wars and one, like we were, again, wondering why we started that one. Like there were major reasons to follow that White House, of course, under Obama, And, but now even more. So, as strange as it sounds, I mean, we keep hearing the president going in all sorts of directions. The reaction is not to say, okay, let's look the other way. I mean, this guy obviously doesn't know what he's talking about. On the contrary, he's attracting even more attention. People from all around the world are looking at Washington, D.C. and saying, where are we heading? And I think I don't think that people look at this because it's an amazing reality TV show. I don't think that people in this market in this town, realize how incredibly important Washington's becoming literally as as the fault line for international c- civilization right now. I did two uh, hits on Indian TV on Wednesday, and they were asking me about leaks of DNC information in North Korea. And the tone of the voice and the, the anchor on the show that was on was just incredulous about what's happening, trying to ask, you know, why is this happening? How is this happening? And this is just one indicator of global opinion and how people view the United States and this president, and they're freaked out. Richard Levick, you do a lot of business overseas, have a lot of international clients. Are you finding the same thing that uh, other panelists are? Well, well absolutely. You know, let, let's uh, take apart some of the things that have just been shared by the panel because there's so much rich uh, conversation here. One, I think, yes, the we view this certainly, I mean, this is really the NASCAR president, you know, uh, but for the accidents, uh, we'd call it traffic. And we can't help but want to watch the accidents here, except that, of course, they are just like in NASCAR, real drivers, real people real issues that are at stake and for this president it may be entertainment but there are deep and extraordinary challenges I think as far as foreign countries and, and as you know Jonathan we've represented so many they really are standing back there are any number of conversations I had before January 20th and then after the inaugural with those same heads of state where they simply had to back off and see we cannot associate with this president at this time we need to see where this administration is going and I think think to Ray's point, it's so absolutely critical. There is hard power, of course, the power to make war, the power to make laws, but there's also soft power. And, you know, I know that you mocked me earlier for only quoting the founding fathers and not going 50 years uh, after that. But I think that there is an understanding that the Constitution, as Madison talked about, was was just parchment bumpers. It was what we did with it afterwards. And this White House's disrespect for the for all the things that we stand for, for the rule of law, for process. Ronald Reagan, who would not take his sport coat off in the office because he understood how important the symbols and soft power are, I think that creates a challenge for everyone, for regulated industries, for heads of state, uh, for and certainly for the first uh, for the fourth estate the first amendment and and you know one other thing I, I do want to say here is that 
there's no question that the uh, that uh, Steve Bannon and Breitbart were a big part of this campaign, and they remain a big part. And Matt uh, Boyle from Breitbart is on the record repeatedly saying that our job at Breitbart is to do away with all vestiges, all vestiges of the mainstream media. So let us be clear. It is not fake news. It is not mistake. It is not unflattering news. It is war. That's exactly what I want to talk about when we come back after this break. Is this, in fact, an administration policy, a business policy, or is this just accidental? We'll talk about that right after this break. Special thanks to our sponsor, Eagle Bank. How do you get to be number one in the D.C. area? Eagle Bank did it by putting relationships first. They're flexible, involved, responsive, strong, and trusted. Eagle Bank's goal is your success. And we're back to continue our conversation on what's working in Washington Extra around the issue of how to cover and provide great information for business people and others to make decisions about their world with the current administration and what's been going on downtown. We're here with Ray Locker, Washington Enterprise Editor for USA Today. He covers the Supreme Court money and politics and as an investigative reporter, Richard Latendress, one of the founders of the White House Foreign Correspondent Press Group and a member of the White House Press Corps, and Richard Levick, founder of Levick, an expert on strategic communication, works with countries and private companies all over the world. So before the break, I wanted to, and I teased the question, as I look at this word, and I'm a businessman, so I understand the power of branding and how you capture the narrative by what you say and how you say. I, it appears to me that this administration is pursuing a very, very smart branding and business strategy and how they're managing information. At least that's how it looks to me. Do you think that what's going on right now is accidental or is it intentional? Well, I'll take that, Jonathan. One of the things is that Trump... Much of what he says is accidental, but he's learned at the feet of other people who are masters of this art. One of them, Roger Stone, longtime lobbyist, Nixon devotee, who believes you say what you're going to say, you keep saying it, and people will eventually believe it, or enough people will believe it, and you'll get what you want. And that's what he's saying with uh, things like the Fairness Doctrine or North Korea, and he really believes it. And then there are the impulsive things that he says that aren't necessarily part of any grand design. I believe Ray also is, is right in underlining the fact that you repeat the same thing over and over. People end up believing it. But now it's been amplified by the Internet, social media. But uh, 30 years ago, there was a limit to, uh, to how you could repeat the platforms where you could repeat the same lie. Now multiplied several times within the five minutes you just said it and every single person with an agenda can really build up a whole world vision out of a perfectly demonstrable contestable lie but but you just can't stop this it's just it has a life on its own 
You know, uh, Jonathan, I think what we've seen in our lifetimes is the fault lines of our politics shift radically. That is, when we were all young in high school, they were de the, our politics were determined by our our position in the Vietnam War. Were we for it or were we against it? Uh, then later, uh, conservative or liberal, Democrat or Republican. And those are the fault lines that we're comfortable and used to. But I think what we're seeing evolve are fault lines between constitutionalist and monarchist. Uh, you know, just as Washington fought a revolution for our liberty, for our independence, with only 33% approval. I mean, you know, 33% didn't care, 33% still supported the monarchy. When you see attacks on the First Amendment, when you see uh, the uh, unbridled presidential power, when you see the ability to claim that we could, we're going to blow up uh, North Korea and 25 million people, or go after Venezuela or whomever, you're seeing people, you know, only 16% of Americans have read the Constitution. This is a great country, but not because only our flag is red, white, and blue. This is a great country because it has been built on this extraordinary hope, belief, and document. And I'm looking at yeah. you, Jonathan, and I know you want to go right back at me, so go. I'm not going to go right back at you. I wanted to say that I think framing it as monarchy versus constitution, uh, in some ways, I think a better way to look at this is I don't think it's just an American phenomenon. I think this is a phenomenon of do you have an authoritarian approach to solving the world's problems or do you have a collegial or collective approach? And that's why, for example, Richard, I, th I think about your reaction as, as a foreign correspondent watching the prime minister of, of Canada react in a certain way. We're talking right now about basically how we organize society, aren't we? Literally. Uh, I, I think, and it's interesting, seems to be a deepening divide between uh, leaders attached to um, an organized democratic but organized way of managing our world and a more emotion-filled emotion argumentation to everything. And I, and I think, and this brings us back to, to D.C., because nowhere else in the world could we have a more, I mean, as, as irrational as it sounds, a, a more well-presented way of being dangerous by the, the, the president in the Oval Office attacking NBC News, contesting well-sourced uh, reporting on what was said in a meeting about multiplying 10 times the nuclear arsenal. Uh, the, the way he fought this, and just looking at him, and we could, by extension now, the entire world look at the White House and say, okay, well, that's one way of looking at reality, at life, and at managing a country. And I think this is where the danger lies. Is like, then they're copycats around the world looking at this and, uh, if it works in D.C., it's going to work anywhere else. Normalizing behavior, as yes. it were. Ray, I know you cover the national security beat and mm. the Pentagon. I myself have done a fair bit of work over the last few years around entrepreneurship and national security. I'm constantly struck by how mission and patriotic in the truest sense people that work in this town are. What's your sense of how people who work in some of the most solid institutions, Supreme Court, Pentagon, how are they feeling about what's going on here in D.C.? I think they're greatly alarmed. I mean, I th one of the articles of faith that many people in Washington have is that members of the military who are in this administration, starting with Chief of Staff John Kelly, a retired four-star Marine General, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis, another retired four-star Marine General, um, are the guys who are going to hold this thing together, that they have an allegiance to somebody and something that is greater than Donald Trump. They have 
you know, part of the military, this country. They've served under a variety of presidents, Republican and Democrat. They're not going to go to war strictly for Donald Trump. So you have to put your faith in them that they are going to look at askance at some of these things that he says, like, you know, taking their nuclear arsenal to 32,000 warheads, something that we only had in the 1960s, or cavalierly talking about blowing away North Korea, which not only would blow away North Korea, but South Korea too, a big chunk of Japan and China, have faith in those people and the ones in the intelligence community also to keep this guy in check. Another thing that I see, so that's completely consistent with what I've been hearing, mm. which really is people who serve this nation aren't partisan. In, right. in the most fundamental sense, what they but they are they believe in the, the importance of a system and process. Richard, my sense when I talk with our colleagues in the entrepreneurial business community is that while people worry about social issues, perhaps there is still a divide. I get the sense that what business people and entrepreneurs really want is a maintain a maintenance of a predictable system. They don't want this this. Uh, craziness to uh, affect their daily lives. It's just bad for business. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, part of it is I sit here and listen to all three of us. I think probably all three of us are shocked that we're even uttering the words that we are, not uh, in that we have to defend the Constitution or we have to defend normalcy, we have to defend consistency. And it makes us, I, I, you know, I, every time I speak, I feel, I feel badly because I feel like I'm speaking in some radical way trying just to protect the First Amendment or, as you say, you know, the normalcy that businesses have depended on. Yes, absolutely. And I think that leads to two key questions, Jonathan. One, for all of us, how long will the market continue to go up when we all know that markets love consistency? And I think that's a great challenge. And without that, there's going to be extraordinary fear. And two, in an age of total transparency, 100% transparency, either through accident or hack, um, what does that mean for the responsibility of CEOs who are increasingly forced to be spokespersons for a point of view, whether it's L.L. Bean or whether it's Nordstrom's, whether it's Boeing, where they're forced by presidential tweet or simply by events of the day, by NBC, to suddenly have to say things that sound political when all they're trying to do is return to normalcy. And you didn't mention the NFL. Oh, there's uh, another great example. I only right. because I couldn't reach the microphone because I was on a knee. <laughs> well, yeah. There you go, making political statements again. It is interesting how a moment of genuflection and prayer has become a statement against the flag, but uh, I'll let that one right. hang, I think. Uh, we have a, two minutes left. If it's okay with you, I, I think it would be great to get your final thoughts. Um, Ray, I'll start with you. As you look at this, communicating this uh, as a journalist, what do we as citizens need to do to really make sure that we get through this period of time and maintain this country's forward motion? I think you got to stay focused on the things that have always been important to you. Uh, keep uh, hold to the principles that you have. Look for a broad source of information, you know, not just that keeps you in your silo. And accept things from trusted sources, believe that they still are trusted. And that's what's going to keep us going through this. In my case, I mean, it's it's interesting because as a foreign reporter, a foreign correspondent, I think we have to find a way to reach this pretty important portion of the American electorate who remains interested, fascinated by this president and this way of looking at power. Uh, my fear is that 
the president has, has been able to undermine, he's trying to undermine the media, but he's also undermining the presidency itself and the trust that we have in this government. So four things very quickly. One, I think we need to teach our kids they're not seeing truth. They're not seeing honesty right now. Uh, we have seen normalcy before. Many of them haven't. So I think that's extraordinarily important. Two, let us all get our information from many, many different sources, not just uh, one source. Three, if you haven't already, it's really important to read the Constitution and understand what this country is all about. And then finally, listen to yourself. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. If we support this president's position on a particular issue, would we feel the same way if it was Hillary or President Obama saying and uttering the exact same thing? Remember, presidents come and go, countries, hopefully forever. Very important words. Thank you for that, Richard. Well, I want to thank all of you. Ray Locker, Washington Enterprise Editor for USA Today, Richard Latrandress, one of the founders of the White House Foreign Correspondent Press Group, and Richard Levick, founder and CEO of Levick. Gentlemen, that was a great conversation. Thanks for joining me on What's Working in Washington Extra. And I hope you enjoyed today's show. You know, here in the D.C. region, we have many industries that drive our economy. Media is one of the largest ones, and we're reminded of that at moments like this, the importance of being able to communicate to the outside world what's going on here in D.C. You know, many of us get up every day and we go to work and we don't really think about how disproportionately important our region is to the rest of the world. I think this conversation we just had on what's working in Washington Extra really reminds us that while we're going about our daily lives, things happen here that matter. And many of us go to work every day to make sure that other citizens around the United States, around the world, have good information so they can make reasonable decisions about how to live their lives. So that's another What's Working Washington Extra. I'm Jonathan Aberman. A special thanks to our sponsor, Eagle Bank. How do you get to be number one in the D.C. area? Eagle Bank did it by putting relationships first. They're flexible, involved, responsive, strong, and trusted. Eagle Bank's goal is your success. That's our show for this week. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan. Our online writer is Barbara Ulrich. Music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. And a huge thank you to our sponsor, Eagle Bank. Please get in touch with us for sponsorship opportunities. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and please rate the podcast. This helps us spread the word about the interesting stories we're telling on what's working in Washington. And let us know who you think we should be talking to on this show. Tweet us at, at What's Working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. You 
You've been listening to What's Working in Washington. Download this show or any of our weekly programs at federalnewsradio.com. What's Working in Washington, Monday afternoons at 2.30 on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m.